Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Time to get your weekend started right. Opening up the big old bag of mail. A reminder, if you want to be able to jump in on the mailbag, if you want to have one of your questions answered here in a mailbag episode, you can do it by going and leaving us a five-star review. And then in that review, include your question for the mailbag. We will throw it in the big old bag of mail and hit it in a future mail bag episode. Uh, we spent a lot of time with our coach rankings this week, gotten a lot of great uh, feedback. Uh, you know, feel like we've been, you know, pulled out, called into some radio hits, having to explain ourselves. And one of the things that I love is a lot of um, these questions are coming with, uh, I heard you guys break this down on, on the Cover 3 podcast. So our thanks to everyone who continues to uh, spread the word. Hey, let's bring this back. Like everybody tell one friend. Like your homework for the weekend, as you're going out, you know, things are starting to open up again. You're starting to socialize a little bit. If you're listening to this podcast, tell one friend uh, about the Cover 3 podcast and, and let's go ahead and get them hooked. Uh, before we jump into the big old bag of mail, a reminder, the PGA Championship is back at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island Golf Resort in South Carolina. And you don't want to miss any of the action. To keep up with all the drama, watch the PGA Championship for free on the CBS Sports app by visiting cbssports.com slash PGA Championship. That is super easy. Just go to cbssports.com slash PGA Championship via your Paramount Plus or TV login on a connected TV. All right. What, have y'all had any, uh, any interesting feedback or... Uh, you know, comments from either the coach rankings themselves or some of our coach ranking shows? Uh, I've gotten yelled at a little bit and I've done, you know, the radio hits, but no, I haven't really had like a, you know, like, like a psycho yet, which is different because <laughs> there's normally, there's usually a few like people who are very, very upset about it. And I don't know if things have just been weeded out that I don't see anymore. But I would say that overall, it's been a pretty mellow response compared to what I've got in previous years. I, I saw the people uh, tweeting some memes at Tom for Iowa State, which it feels good not to be the, the, the target of the Iowa State hate mm -hmm. uh, for, for once on this show. Uh, my Florida fans would trade Dan Mullen for Kirby Smart was not well received, actually. But uh, which on, fan base? On the Florida board. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that, I, I don't know the Georgia fans I, I actually saw it all that much yet. And uh, their response was generally like, there's no way Kirby would recruit as well here at Florida as, as he does at Georgia. And my response was like, sure. Well, no, when Spurrier, when Spurrier cared, they recruited pretty well. And Urban Meyer and Ron Zook put together just some ridiculous classes there. So uh, I think he could probably do pretty well. 
at Florida, but I also get their point of, you know, he really hasn't won that much yet at Georgia. And then I had some Georgia fans really push back on us. Uh, they thought our reasoning for Kirby was, uh, was poor and that he has outcoached his opponents in a lot more games than he has been outcoached. And uh, we're, we're totally wrong on that. Did they mention the games? <laughs> uh, the one that was mentioned was that he found a way to beat Auburn in the rematch in the SEC title game, which is true, but I also think Georgia had a lot more talent than that Auburn team anyway. Um, so I would kind of expect them to win both. But And yeah, that was so. uh, that was an Auburn team that was one-dimensional. Like it was carry on Johnson carrying the entire offense, you know. I mean, and you're going up against an elite Georgia defense. I, I just, I mean, you can't can't putt putt your way past the dogs twice. Come on, you know that. I, I was thinking about this one today. Um, the coach with the like biggest potential to make it the biggest leap from this year's rankings to next year's rankings. I, I think it has to be Sark from 46. If yeah, if. If all of a sudden he's he shows like nope I'm I am this is this is my job I've got it going if his all gas no breaks stuff really catches on and they've got an electric offense I think we see him jump up inside the top twenty five next year. Oh yeah, I mean it's because he's at Texas and right. Texas has to be in the top twenty five even if it's just one <laughs> season of fluff. I've got a I've got a parlay for you guys. This is kind of a tease for a show we'll do next week. What is the Billy Napier to LSU parlay going to pay? So it's ULL upsetting Texas in in, 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 in uh, what week one or week two, mm-hmm. and then and then Chip Kelly clipping LSU in week one. Ooh. That kind of sets the wheels in motion, right? <laughs> I mean, the funny thing about that Chip what does Kelly that pay, thing, you think six to one? Uh, no, I think it's probably more than that because I'm going to guess I'm going to guess the Cajuns are at about four fifty ish. On the money line. You, to beat you think, you think, okay, so we already know, just spoiler here, that Texas is only favored by four against Arkansas. And UCLA is only a one point underdog against LSU. Point and a half or something like that. I don't know if it's, moved. you think the, you think the spread against Louisiana is going to be, going to be bigger than the spread against Arkansas just based on name value or do you have that power rated that way? Not, I think based, I think that's how they're going to put it because it's going to be Texas versus Louisiana. And I think that just from a public ass perception, like, yeah, very first weekend of the season, Texas, Louisiana. If so, you give me plus four fifty, I am betting Louisiana. Yeah, it might be more in the three hundred range, but I'm thinking, yeah, maybe six to one if you parlay it. Probably the two games on the money line. The, you set the wheels in motion for Billy Napier to LSU, and it's going to start with this very specific event. It's like an exacta. Of, uh, of of college football coaching carousel. Um, all right, let's st- let's go ahead and dive into the big old bag of mail. This question comes from Coach Cheetah. Sup, fellas? Love the pod. One of the best sports podcasts around. The addition of Bud made it even better. Appreciate all the content. Great review. Mailbag. In my current internship, my boss is Danny's old Florida State teammate, Kez McCorvey. This leads to my question. Who has been the most dynamic college receiver you've gotten to see, to see in person? For me, I got a chance to see Kadarius Tony tear up my knolls during our rivalry game in 2019, which is something I'll never forget. Daniel, I Kez. love it. My guy, Kez. Kez was my guy. He played the Y, so he was the inside slot receiver. He could catch anything uh, from 
uh, Mississippi and uh, had one of these wiry bodies where he could like, it was like Gumby kind of like he would contort his body and make this catch over here, but his like hips and his leg were over there and he wasn't fast, but he just could break dudes ankles just by the shiftiness at his breaks. It was awesome for the, most electric receivers. We just send people back to the Randy Moss episode. When we did that. <laughs> like, yeah. go listen to that one for me. For me, it's easy. I'll give you some other ones after you guys go. But for me, Randy Moss was the most unbelievably dominant receiver that I've ever seen in person, and it's not really close. I'm gonna I need mean, a second because I was gonna go. Mar- I was gonna go Randy Moss. <laughs> I haven't seen Randy right. Moss in person. I saw Randy Moss in person, but like in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Are we are we restricting this to who we've seen in college? I I think the most dynamic wide receivers that I've seen in person are college wide receivers, and they've mostly been the best wide receivers in the sport over the last ten years. As I've been working for CBS Sports, where you're like, I don't know, uh, Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, like you know, you could just start Jalen Waddle, just start to run through I mean, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, you know. All these, all these guys that we've seen dominate the sport in recent years. I mean, I think, I think my Randy Moss would be Larry Fitzgerald, who I saw play at Pitt against Notre Dame back in two thousand three, two thousand somewhere. Like, yeah, I, what, what year did he leave? Two thousand three. So anyway, th- in that time span, I would say Larry Fitzgerald was one of them. Uh, see, this is the thing. I grew up in the Big Ten. So not a lot of dynamic wide receivers didn't have a whole lot of dynamic receivers. David Boston, <laughs> David, but I never saw him in person. Uh, but you know, I felt like just seeing him on TV, he was bigger than the screen, but, uh, of people I saw in person, let's see. I, I thought golden Tate was very impressive when I would see him play. Uh, while I was at Illinois, Brandon Lloyd played for the Illini and Brandon Lloyd isn't like a big name, but, like at the time on the field, you could tell he was the best player on the field. And he did go on to play in the NFL for like a decade. He made a pro bowl. So he was talented. I would say he was somebody who stood out. And then the player that's coming to my mind, the most honestly, isn't even a receiver. So it doesn't count, but it's Denard Robinson is easily the most explosive player I've seen live on a football field. Yeah. When I was at, I don't have, obviously I did not play, but when I was at North Carolina, both uh, Brandon Tate and Hakeem Nix were wide receivers there. Brandon Tate had the special team side. Like, so in terms of dynamic, he was big play through and through Hakeem Nix, definitely more of a like, possess- like I, I remember the, like a catching the ball behind your back kind of move from Nix. So that I wouldn't know if that falls into dynamic, but that was when I was uh, there, they were both on the team and they were both awesome. So that would, that would be my only, like when I was there, but the best, like most dynamic, it's been this, this run. I've it's been going to the college football playoff for the last you know six years or whatever. Yeah. So two guys I, w- I want to bring up here who I did see in person, um, Percy Harvin I was obviously had the speed. His wiggle was o- okay for like, like, but it wasn't, it didn't to me stand out as like his, his crazy, you know, good, good trait, but he's obviously had some moves. But I think that the underrated part about Harvin's game was, was the power. Like that guy was yoked, and he would run, like you don't see receivers run through arm tackles. And and he was so good, like they were trying to find him way, ways to get him the ball in which way they could. And then obviously he would you know take it to the house because he had really good top end speed um, and pretty nice acceleration. 
the, the guy with, with the wiggle and, and the acceleration for me that, that I saw in person was, was Peter work. Like he played the game, like somehow he, they found him in space in a time where you just didn't have receivers in space quite like that. And he would just juke everybody out. Go, go watch, go watch the play against Louisiana tech or, or the one against Maryland and just, he was ridiculous. Obviously, didn't have a, a much of an NFL career after he blew his knee with the Bengals, but he was what, top top ten pick or top five pick. Like, you know, really, really good college player. Probably could have won the Heisman if not for the Dillard stuff. I got some for you. Did anybody? Now, I don't. They, these are potential. Maybe you saw. Did anybody see Calvin Johnson in person? Yeah, probably. In the but NFL, uh, not in college. I saw him in college, right, but I know, not that's like what I, was I wasn't because, on the field, you know. But like I, I was in the stands. Same. Because you talk about dominant receivers, like that dude was electric. I got two that I saw in person in high school as a young recruit. Uh, I saw Desmond Howard in person. He was pretty electric when he touched the ball. It was there. And then how about one of the under radar? I was at the 1990 Orange Bowl when. The Rocket, like you got you to gotta be electric if you have a name like The Rocket. Raib Ishmael uh, took back the kick uh, that would have won the game, but it was called back for a penalty, 91-yard punt return uh, in that game, and it was called back against uh, and stopped um, Colorado, potentially could have stopped Colorado from winning a share of that 1990 championship, but the punt was called back. Um that was phenomenal. That that was play in itself was one of the most historic plays. It says on the Rockets wiki page, we all know that's accurate. 100%. That he ran a 428 uh 40, which is absolutely flying. And he was fast. That is totally flying. I mean, let- I I could do it, but yeah, I mean it's fast for him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this uh this next question comes uh that we just went jumble. All right. Uh, Tennessee ceiling with T-Law. Love the pod, fellas. Started listening over quarantine and couldn't stay away. Mailbag. As a fellow dog whose school has missed out on the likes of Cam Newton and Deshaun Watson, it's comforting to reflect on Tennessee missing out on Trevor Lawrence. Man, nastiness. They also missed on Justin Fields, to be fair. Mm, That's true. I mean, if you want to rub it in. If you want to to like go all the way on this one, uh, I'm curious, what do y'all feel Tennessee's ceiling would have been if they'd signed Lawrence? We had two little like, what if different alternate reality questions in the mailbag this week. Uh, This is the first one. Tennessee is able to keep Trevor Lawrence, who they put on TV so many times in that Tennessee uniform as a kid. You know, like if if Tennessee was able to have Lawrence, uh, what is the Vols ceiling? How do you think it plays out differently? I mean, they're probably winning at least one SEC East title, but I don't know if Trevor Lawrence alone with the rest of the Tennessee roster the last few years makes Tennessee like a real SEC title contender, playoff contender, but I think they'd be a lot better than they had been for sure. But the other thing too is, is Jeremy Pruitt his coach? No way. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know who's running the offense. I don't know what the offense looks like or if it's just going to be big, dumb guy football or if they're adapting to their QB. I don't know. For your anti-Jarrett Garantano principles that you've put in place and profited off of many, many times, 
in a lot of that based on the idea that like he was the the limiting factor from a team that otherwise could like power rate out pretty well. I think that Trevor Lawrence dropped in. I can't, I don't know specifically with last year's team, but let's say he's playing on the 2019 Vols team. I, I think with those wide receivers and I think with uh, what they had on the lines of scrimmage, I think that Tennessee is an SEC East title contender in 2019 with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, for sure. But there's a big difference between competing for the SEC East and then beating Alabama or LSU and winning the SEC and then going to the playoff. Like you look Missouri at the rest- has challenged the SEC East. Exactly. So like you look at the rest of that Clemson roster and you compare it to those Tennessee rosters, like Clemson had a lot, you know, those defensive lines that they had that when they won the national title and all that stuff, Tennessee hasn't had that. But I will say this. Trevor Lawrence, player of the year, QB1 exposure, all those things. If he goes to Tennessee and he spearheads a charge to get other recruits to join him, maybe there is more talent at Tennessee. You know, because I do think that's a big portion of recruiting is you get a couple guys, a couple alphas who go, hey, I'm going to go here and do something special. Maybe you could lure in a player or two or three or four more than you would because you have him. And then the next class, maybe there's a receiver who says, hey, I've saw what he's, I've seen what he's doing. I want to go play with him. Then it starts to build on itself. So you could have had a cornerstone piece to recruiting. This question, because I'm not familiar with this. Is this like a Tennessee fan that said a few years ago, we're going to win the SEC East, but it really wasn't going to happen? Or was this a possibility that this could actually happen? Oh, no, th- this was a real possibility. Um, I mean, I I think Trevor to Tennessee had a greater chance of happening than, like, say, Justin Field sticking with his Penn State commitment, right? Now, once Tennessee started totally cratering, it, it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, I, I don't think any of these things were, were actually going to happen. Um but it had, there was some chance. Like he did grow up a, a fan of Tennessee. They did recruit him. I, I remember, at like in Trevor's junior year of high school, Tennessee went nine and four, and they had gone nine and four during his sophomore year. So it wasn't like they were doing that poorly. Jones had gone five and seven and seven and six as the head coach in his first two years. The the one thing I, I have trouble figuring out here is, I think Clemson's culture is so good just based on like who we know they turned down recruiting wise for behavior, character issues, et cetera. Like they really, they put culture and character first. So like, is Trevor Lawrence a great leader? Maybe he is, but we also don't really know that because I don't think Clemson has all these dudes who are maybe all me, me, me that he has to corral and get to move in the same direction at Tennessee. I don't think Bush Jones had established a, a real, real great culture. And we don't know if Trevor Lawrence would have been able to step in and fix all of that. Now, maybe Trevor Lawrence have allowed the trash can to happen. What year was that? (laughs) I thought that was, didn't he win that game? I don't know. That was, but wasn't it an awful opponent in that game? Wasn't it somebody they were supposed to win by a lot? It was like the season opener type of game, wasn't it? Boys, I think it was supposed to be SEC game. Um, I, th- I think the turnover trash can might have made its debut in a narrow win against Appalachian State. Okay. I could be wrong about or, that. Or Georgia Tech. Remember, remember that, that opening game against them? Yeah, it was, Georgia, it was Georgia, Georgia Tech. Okay. okay. So I seem to remember like it being like, whoo, Tennessee is good. They got a trash can. But the but to your <laughs> point, like if, if Trevor goes to Tennessee. I'm seeing champions of trash. <laughs> if, if Trevor goes to Tennessee, Butch Jones is still the head coach. 
Like he's the the nine wins and nine wins, and you got then a five star quarterback coming in. You're you're not going to be um, you're not going to be dismissed if if that's you getting everything going in the right direction. It's hilarious to me that you mentioned the the Vols didn't have culture because wasn't that Butch Jones's whole thing? Yes, five star hearts, brick. brick by brick. You know we're building a culture here, but uh, obviously the current Arkansas State head coach Butch Jones, um, he oh. did. He did not get Trevor Lawrence. I will say, like you brought up Justin Fields to Penn State. Had that happened, I think Penn State's got at least one playoff berth because I have definitely harped on Penn State saying the one thing they were missing is a QB. And in this scenario, they have Justin Fields and Ohio State doesn't. There's no doubt. Also, yeah. if uh, if we haven't seen Trevor prove to be a leader, I think that's why you call Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> that culture builder. Yeah, yeah. Urban, Urban's I, looking around. He's like this. This. He's never really had to take a, a, a locker room. Bob brings up a really good point, though, because he did inherit a great. Pro, like it was, and it goes back to even Taj Boyd, who was a really good leader, and Deshaun Watson, despite all his issues now that he has, was a great leader. His teammates respected him. Like it was kind of a a ship that was already moving smoothly. It was just cruising, and he kind of just took over it and kept steering it the right direction. So he did have a great situation that he went to which goes back to the point why i don't think he chose tennessee like I, I think that becomes like how realistic was it that he would have gone there i think he's smart enough to kind of see and has good advice saying well if i'm gonna go here my career could go one way and if i go here my career goes another and that was a big part for my decision making process when i was coming out like there were programs that were recruiting me and it wasn't now there might be some unique personalities who are like i can turn around that program I'll, I'll, I'm that good for me. I was like, I want to go where I have the best guys around me and all I have to do is get it to them. You know, and I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is one way or another, but it does help when you have something that's rolling to plug in and get one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Without a doubt. All right. Here's our next, uh, next. What if, uh, best college football pod, sincerely grateful for you. Cute. Uh, if Miami had never left, and precipitated the demise of the Big East, would they still be a blue blood? This is from John C. in Arizona. Okay, so John C., I'm going to take, as we get the conversation started, I'm going to assume that Miami never left the Big East, and I guess that that means the Big East stays... um, stays a alive a, a power five yeah like they they remain a football conference like if miami doesn't leave then let's say that virginia tech doesn't leave either and we're still looking at maybe what bud your point about west virginia you know taking the the check in exchange for competitiveness like the west virginia is still there syracuse is still there Pitt's still there is does miami running through the big east every year if they never left and if they had maintained their dominance do you think that keeps them uh in a different status in college football than where they are right now no cuz you think the you think that miami was going to fall off no matter what happened i don't know that they would fall off but I feel like the Big East as it was, like part of the reason those schools left for the ACC was because the Big East wasn't getting the same kind of revenue stream that the bigger conferences were, and they were going for that money. And had they not joined the ACC, I don't know if the money fountain suddenly gets turned on for the Big East. So I look at the schools that are still in that conference in this scenario, and I would guess that they're just falling further and further behind everybody else. 
that's my prediction of what would have happened. So Miami might still have been the best program in the Big East, but I don't know how much respect that would have garnered had things kept going in the directions they were going. But they'd have more respect than like UCF or Cincinnati, right? Because they've got the national championships and they've got the history to be able to at least um, at least command some kind of like, we are the best. Like if it is Power 5, Big East exists, but it's not in the Power 5, you at least are the like most dominant premier group of five team. Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought was interesting. What if, what if Miami kept rolling? Like yeah. once they got to the gauntlet, that's the ACC, all of a sudden that dominance kind of ended. I mean, talk about the SEC, how tough that is. Look at what's happened to the hurricanes. Um, but I do wonder if that would have, they would have continued to roll and had more success had they stayed with an easier schedule. I, I think so. Right. I, I, I think that that's a, a possibility, though it probably is bringing in less money, I would assume. Right. But that's, uh, that's definitely the, the Big East falling apart um, doesn't seem to get... The Big East falling apart in football doesn't seem to get the like tearful memory lane treatment that, uh, that, that some of the other conferences... Like the, the Southwest Conference gets more love in terms of like wishing it had come back or like old whack football on ESPN2 kicking off at like 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, the original Pac-12 after dark. Um, that's, that stuff seems to all get a, a little bit more rom- romanticized. But do you think Miami would, uh, would, would still be rolling as like a, this Kings of the Big East type thing? I, I think they would probably still be the, the Kings of the Big East. I, I'm not totally convinced that the Big East uh, w- would have been included in the playoff. But yet, you know, they, they remained in the BCS uh, and there wasn't, I guess that much pushback about them being in the BCS at the time, right? Like Miami won a national title via the BCS. Uh, the Hokies played for one uh, via the BCS lost FSU in, in, in that game. Um, you know, so maybe that maybe they do remain a, a, a power five or, or a P six conference. I think one of the issues with Miami and that they've improved this some, so to their credit, but they their spending was not keeping up with the spending of the other, you know, really big programs. And, and Saban changed his sport in such a way to where he got to LSU, and he totally changed their booster culture. You know how much people donated, how it was spent, trying to basically leverage every single bit of advantage that you could get out out of your dollars. You know, hiring analysts, hiring you know, Danny. How, how many strength coaches did Florida State have who were full timers? Probably two. You know. Coach Van, Dave Van Hallinger, and then he had a, maybe in, two assistants, but they were like GAs. It was pretty, it was a pretty dramatic drop off. It wasn't like the staffs that they have now. I mean, pretty pretty advanced nutrition program, or did you like occasionally get protein shakes? Oh my gosh, our no, no protein shakes. Miss Betty, the uh, head of the training table, who was awesome. I mean, every day it was fried chicken. It was you know steaks that were kind of like just French fries, maybe pizza one night. It was not exactly cutting edge nutrition to say the least. And neither was our strength program. I mean, it, neither one were real cutting edge, like forward thinking. They were almost antiquated. You had a good offensive line though, didn't you? <laughs> yes, you <laughs> did. I trade all of it to get that offensive line back. Um, so. You know, Saban gets to LSU and they have, you know, customized nutrition for, for everybody. Like every day you go in, you, you get your supplements and it's, you know, it's like a cup of your own stuff, right? And and I think there are areas there, amount of back office staff you had, so some of the recruiting money spent, not like dropping bags on kids, but just more 
like corporatized, right? It was less small town feel. And I think that was going to happen in Miami pretty much regardless uh, of, of what conference they were in. Now, what conference they were in did dictate their ability to keep up, I think. Um, and they made some hires that didn't work out with, with Randy Shannon and, and Al Golden. But the Coker hire wasn't going to work out long term. So I, I don't know, Ship. This is a really good question. I'm, I'm glad our listeners sent this in. I, I think they probably would have been included in the playoff initially, the, 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 the Big East. I think another thing we have to consider too about what the fate of the Big East would have been, because like Miami joined in the early '90s, Rutgers, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, and the Temple also joined. But Temple was kind of in line with what they already had, because the Big East at its core, save for a few schools, was just small, private, like Christian Jesuit schools. Who now, honestly, if you look at the Big East as it is today, where it's just a basketball conference or no football, but that's kind of what the Big East always preferred anyway. The Big East was always a basketball conference. So even if it sticks around and these schools are still there, I just don't think the commitment overall would have made, stayed at the kind of level that it needs to be to get to where you are as a college football powerhouse these days. Do you think we would be having a debate about kicking them out of the playoff right now if they had been included in the first playoff? I Probably, think, right? I think that if the debate right now were to expand to six or eight teams – I think the debate would be that the Big East champion doesn't deserve an auto bid, that they should go in with the group of five or whatever the hell it would be called for the automatic bid, yes. I don't, if if everyone is still there, like if you've still got Virginia Tech, Miami, Pitt, Louisville, Syracuse, I think that you've got enough top 25-ish teams to be able to warrant still still inclusion. Like if they've the 2004 exodus, then the 2013 exodus, if both of those things don't happen and it's still the Big East as it was formulated, you know, with West Virginia there as well, back on, you know, 2002 or 2003, I think that that still deserves like power conference recognition. I mean, Dana went and hung 70 on the Tigers as a Big East champion. Ran three plays. Tavon Austin, fly sweep. Let's go. He couldn't stop it. That's what got uh, Brent Venables I think what hired. also is interesting, too, if they had stayed and if you had the core group of Virginia Tech, Miami, West Virginia, Boston College. Boston College. And then added Cincinnati, you know, like, because Cincinnati joined right after Miami left, right? Correct. Yes. Um, a couple years later. You know, yeah. some of the, like, you wonder, like, UConn. Maybe UConn we would still be talking about with a decent football program instead of disbanding and talking about going down. Like, it might have, they might have been able to build something had they kept a few of these power pieces as opposed to gone extinct the way we've seen it now. It is a fascinating question because I do think it was a, a major shift. Uh, for college football, not only for the Big East, but for college football. And you football. probably don't have – sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so what would the Big East be? Let's let's figure this out. It would be Boston College. It would be Syracuse. It would be Pitt, Miami, Rutgers, West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Has Temple come back again? Does Temple <laughs> stick around? Uh, C- Cincinnati, <laughs> Louisville, and USF. Which honestly, Pretty that's good, not, not that bad, bad of a conference, really. Yeah, it's stronger than the American, right? I yeah. know the American likes to. I mean, it's stronger than the American, who's the power six. Yeah, you know? so no, maybe maybe I'm overestimating the downfall a little bit. That would still be a pretty decent conference. In fact, you mentioned all those teams. It's like now what's left in the ACC? Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's one for you. <laughs> if Miami is still uh, in the ACC. Does Urban Meyer's Utah team ever end up playing Pitt in that Fiesta Bowl? Or do they have to play like a good Virginia Tech or, or a good Miami? 
Because remember, there were some really bad representatives of the Big East, and to be honest, the ACC at times in, in the early 2000s. That you, UConn gets crushed by Oklahoma in kind of the mid 2000s out there. Urban Meyer's team just totally crushes uh, Pitt. Was that a Fitzgerald Pitt team? I don't know, but I I remember no. the Randy Edsel coached like Jordan Todman running UConn team losing to Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl for sure. Oklahoma with a receiver playing quarterback. Remember, right? That, uh, what was that kid's name? I love this sport. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because UConn had also like won the bid as an eight-win team via tiebreak or something. You know, it was almost ACC coastal esque. I do, I do remember that. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, listen. I'm sorry, Big East. I'm sorry that we're out here telling you that this well, this could be us, but <laughs> yeah, it could be us. But y'all were wilding. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, on this week's episode of All Things Covered, three-time All-Pro Patrick Peterson and two-time Super Bowl champ Bryant McFadden add another DB to their secondary. That's right. It's Herm Edwards joining the show. Arizona State's leading man discusses why his 2018 hire bothered people at the time, his confidence heading into year four with the program, how long he'll remain with the Sun Devils, and much more. Download and follow All Things Covered wherever you get this podcast. Speaking of what if, we're going to look into our crystal ball. We're going to make some predictions about who might be the next coach at one of the premier programs in all of college football. We'll get into that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Uh, this next question comes from <laughs> Stalt's Fart. <laughs> get it? Fault start. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Pig oh, Latin. No, I get yeah. it. All yeah. right. Stalt's Fart asks Love the pod. Shout out to Bud, who I've been a fan of since his SB Nation days. My question comes from the discussion on which teams would be the next to make their first playoff appearance. Tom said what most USC fans have been saying for years. They are a coach away. Outside of 2020, they've been able to keep it recruiting at a high level and even beyond kids who grew up watching Pete Carroll's teams. And athletic director Mike Bond has invested in a higher quality and quantity support staff along with an aggressive name, image, and likeness pitch in Boulevard Studios. Seems like the right coach could step right in and start dominating the Pac-12 without much of a rebuild. For a lot of fans, it was Urban Meyer or bust. With Urban off the board, who should USC be targeting if they decide to make a change? To me, 
It's the Mike Bond Luke Fickle connection makes too much sense. Uh, uh, the new AC, the USC athletic director was at Cincinnati. There's the Luke Fickle connection, but most of the national media seems to be penciling him in for a Big Ten job if and when he leaves Cincinnati. So USC next head coach, who they should hire, who they might hire. I I think it's an open floor, whichever way you want to take it. What if I it's think- Clay Helton? What if your vote is it'll be Clay Helton? <laughs> Are you, you Clay Helton as in I think the, he'll survive. I think he's going to, I think they're going to be all right this year. If he's not, then I think it's interesting because this is one of those programs that has a lot of opinionated fans who have a perception of, we need a mega coach with a personality and a star power. And yet maybe that's not the best direction for them to go. I, I mean, I think Luke Fickle, the connection makes sense. It's just, USC doesn't strike me as a Luke Fickle kind of job. You know what I mean? Like, I I do think that if he leaves Cincinnati, and that's not even a guarantee because he's being well-paid at Cincinnati, I don't think he's leaving for anything other than a top Big Ten job. So I I just don't feel like that's a a fit for him. I think a coach we've talked about on the show in recent years is a possibility if USC comes open. I think James Franklin is a kind of has kind of the name and the recruiting chops to where at USC he would be attractive there. And it maybe at some point James Franklin says, you know what, I've probably done as much as I can here with Ohio State in this division. And if I want to go compete for national titles, maybe it's time for me to leave. Uh Lane Kiffin, that's who USC should hire. Definitely. Um I don't know. See that's the thing. It's I don't think that the coach necessarily has to be a big name. I think that it could be an up-and-coming young coach. I just think that the current coach running that program is not the guy that's going to get them there. And I think that a new coach is probably the biggest thing separating them from who it is. But I don't say that with a coach specifically in mind. That said, had it been Urban Meyer, yeah, I think USC would have been winning a national title in sometime in the recent future. I think James Franklin is is probably the answer here. Um especially if, if they're not able to, to get that big-time quarterback you know, on the recruiting trail and, and, and get over that Ohio State hump. Um, I think James Franklin has done a really, really nice job at Penn State, especially considering all the, all the crap he had to deal with initially. And yet sometimes I'm not really sure he's totally appreciated by their fans. You should probably measure your appreciation by your paycheck, but if USC is actually ready to pay, uh, and 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 ready ready to spend the money, which I think was the main issue why they didn't fire Clay Hilton last time. Mm-hmm. It's it sounds like just from reading some of the some of the national reports out there, maybe they don't have quite as much money as people think they do. Or celebrity maybe. parents no longer being able to buy their children into the school <laughs> has really hurt the bottom line of the USC budget. <laughs> I've got a story about that I can't share yet, but give it a couple more years and it, it is a doozy. Um, years, I'll you guys, off here. Come on. Let's no, get it. I, I, okay. I, I can't. It, it, it burns somebody. I, I think it's too easy connectable. But um, I do think, don't you think that how James Frank, like if let's say Clay Houghton blows up, gets fired, knowing USC's fan base, don't you think it's critical that James Franklin has a really solid year at Penn State, like 10 and 2 or better? I don't think it has to be 10 and 2. No. You don't? And, and I also think just personality-wise, I think James Franklin's a good fit for that job. I know. Can't you just picture Keegan-Michael Key and him, the twin, like doing all these bits together? Will just Ferrell, like, yeah. Ferrell had Will Ferrell out there, Keegan-Michael Key, Hollywood star, like him talking to the team, doing all – it does – I think he is the most common-sense hire for USC that kind of feels like a fit. And apparently James Franklin has been interested in this job too. So 
maybe this is the direction they decide to go. Maybe Matt Campbell. Although I do think that I, I don't five know star if, culture guy and yeah. three star player that that's ain't going to fly with that's, USC. I don't think that's a fit. I think as far as coaching wise, though, I think that'd be a huge upgrade over what they have. Okay. Do you think Graham Harrell would be an upgrade? I remember when Graham Harrell was hired, I was looking at Clay Helton like, dude, watch your back. Like, watch out because, you know, if you get, if you catch that midseason axe, Harold takes over his interim and, you know, they finish real strong. Then all of a sudden, the same thing they got like Clay Helton and Ed Ogeron, the opportunity to be able to get the full time job. Like, if Harold is the reason for the, the success, then that uh, that's that is an outcome that I've looked into my crystal ball and considered whether or not Harold would be a good head coach. I have no idea. Yeah, but it's I, back and forth, ping pong, right? Like right. when teams hire a defensive coach and he doesn't work out, they go offense. When they fire an offensive coach, they usually bounce back to defense. If your guy's boring, they go exciting. If he's too exciting, they're going to go back to boring and fundamentals and doing things the right way and all this other stuff. They've already gone internal hire back to back. I don't think there's any way they go internal hire, even if he's the best candidate. It's just it's hard to sell. Hey, guys, I know we said we had the right guy on staff who just wasn't head coach. We promoted him tw- twice in a row, but now this third time, this is really the charm. That's fair. All right this uh, this next question comes from Please Retire Saban. Hey, Cover Three Team, awesome podcast. Really easily my favorite, even over non sports podcasts. Yeah. That's right, my favorite murder. We're coming for you. We got you. Best even over non-sports pods. Really miss the going down. Really miss the goat Barton RIP. He's not dead, but I still have Tom, so <laughs> it's all good. Uh, my question is about LSU. I'm a huge Gator and Buckeyes fan, so I would love for LSU to wallow in mediocrity, but unfortunately, I think they have the case for the best program in the country. I have several reasons to think this. First, they are the only major program in the state for college. And when you combine that with how crazy people are in Louisiana, you could argue that they have the most loyal fan base. Also, they are in a top five recruiting state, have talent everywhere. Finally, they've won three titles since the BCS era, all with different coaches, proving it's more school than the coach. Any thoughts? So when he says they're the best program, he means like best job. Yeah, I guess because they're not the best program in the country. <laughs> like the best program is the one that's won seven national t- or six national titles in, in the last the twelve years. Yeah, that. that but are they even programs. a top five program? That's the thing. I don't know. Mm. I I, I, I wouldn't I, consider them a top five program. Probably no. I, I mean, I kind of like the argument for for being the best job. Yeah, I think that's a good argument. Like. There's a very solid argument to be made for there. It's like, you know, I remember a few years ago it was arguing that Georgia was one of like a top five job and people thought you were nuts because they hadn't won national titles. But it, for the same reason you make that argument for Georgia, you make the same argument for LSU and they have the success. So, yeah, I definitely think it's in the talks is one of the best jobs in college football period i do think that there's something to be said for the disarray that seems to follow lsu and we 
we look at it as either, I mean, it's problematic at times, but like sometimes we just consider it like part of the culture. Like, oh, it's Louisiana. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, think, things aren't going to be perfect, but, it, but it's all going to work out. And I think that you compare that to the machine that is Alabama. And that's where, you know, in addition to the national championships, it just seems like things are run a little bit cleaner and things are just a little bit tighter uh, and, and not as loose. So the other thing that has to be pointed out to Bud's point earlier about what Nick Saban did at LSU all of the reasons why LSU is a good program is because of what Nick Saban set in motion when he was there at the job uh, and won that first national championship. Can I counter that Bama had an absolute truckload of dysfunction before Saban got there? Mm-hmm. Like you had a coach fired for using a company credit card at a strip club, right? You had the book scandal. <laughs> you, had, you had the Albert Means thing. And LSU was not crazy uh, when Saban was there. And I think Saban actually probably thinks LSU's a better job, to be honest. I, I think he's made some comments to that effect. Like like when he was in the NFL, he thought LSU was the best job in the country. There's no in-state competition for kids. Like all your big boosters are in-state are, are LSU boosters. It's just that that takes a lot of the challenges out on, on the recruiting trail. You're going to own that state. I mean, you basically have right of first refusal on 99% of the yep. kids, with the one exception being like the Monroe area up there. Like that, that gets a little bit tricky because those kids are actually closer to some other big time schools. Um, I, yeah, I, I think, I think you make a really good argument that it's it's the best job in the country. But you could also argue for Ohio State. You could probably mm. argue for Bama now that it, how how well it's been set up. Still but, Georgia, sure, one hundred percent. I think there's an advantage too at LSU, and and it's the whatever it takes to win, like whatever it takes, we'll give it to you, which can be a good and bad thing, right? We've seen some consequences from that attitude as well. But as a coach, like if you got everything at your disposal and you can get certain players in, no matter what academically or questionable background there is, there can be an advantage in that that makes it attractive. I mean, there's no, but to his point, like there's no one in Louisiana who is, uh, who's, there's no house divided, in Louisiana, you know, like there's, there's no ball state, Penn state, uh, met wedding going on, you know, some house divided stuff. Everyone is LSU. And I remember Barton made this case uh, a long time ago. He was like, you go to the LSU, uh, high school state championships. And at every single level, they're all tigers and they're all purple and gold. Every high school is purple and gold and every high school is the Tigers. It's the purple and gold Tigers against the purple and gold Tigers at the 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, and 5A levels. And have you ever heard anybody say there's a tougher place to play than Baton Rouge? Like, you get the best home field advantage too, playing in front of that crowd with that ruckus environment. Like, I haven't even heard many people try to argue against it. Like I used to try to say, well, maybe it's overrated. And I do think it gets hyped up to where I would argue how much is home field matter, but no one makes really much of an argument that there's a tougher place to play. Have you done it on a 20 degree night in Evanston? I don't yeah. think so. No, I mean, if when LSU is good, that home crowd is bananas. But they they also, you know, you can you can catch them on a on a lethargic uh a lethargic day for sure. They don't, they don't bring it like a hundred percent of the time. Couldn't do that. All right. Uh, let's do one more. This question management, this question is from management. (laughs) Uh, love the pod still the best in the business question. I tend to agree with Tom that there is a 0% chance. A group of five team gets into the college football playoff as it is currently set up. 
I wanted to get everyone's take on if it is just as impossible for a group of five player to win the Heisman Trophy. Desmond Ritter is currently something like 101 to win it, but it feels like if there was ever a chance, it would be this year with Cincinnati starting the season likely in the top 15. Thanks. First of all, thank you for agreeing with me on a fact. <laughs> um, I, I would say that there's a better chance a group of five player would win a Heisman for sure than would get to the playoff. And that's because like the people who vote for the Heisman aren't the selection committee. But at the same time, with it being a much broader voting base, it might actually be even, God, I don't know. It might be even less likely because the overall, let's say, IQ level, college football IQ level of the Heisman voting base is pretty surface level. And it's, typically going to be the big star on the big team these days. So it's probably still very, very, very difficult, but I would say that there's a chance, a very slight chance that somebody could win the Heisman just because maybe there's a hipster movement amongst the CFB Twitter, you know, literati to get this, you know, Desmond Ritter or whoever it happens to be like when it was in Domicong Sioux, you know, about a decade. I mean, Barton spoke Devonta into existence. Yes, that was all Barton. (laughs) And not Devonta Smith, the guy who led the nation in receiving touchdowns, receiving yards, receiving yards per game and receptions. But I do think that shift in sentiment, the fact that we broke the formula, that Mac Jones didn't win it, who was the quarterback of the best team in the country and set records that we, you know, set the completion percentage record, put up obnoxious stats. That kind of gives me hope that maybe there would be this shift in sentiment where people are more open to breaking that formula, which seemed to have been set in stone with, you know, best player, biggest team in the country, national championship contender. Let's see. I don't know. I I think in order for it to happen, and I don't know if this schedule for Desmond Ritter does it. They got two games, Indiana and Notre Dame. Those are going to be your opportunities. They have to be good. And we don't know about Indiana yet. We don't know about Notre Dame yet, but like if Notre Dame can somehow be another 10 win team and he beats them in South Bend on national television and does it with a heroic performance, that would be, he absolutely needs that to happen. But when is that game? No, it's early, too early. Yeah, it's you know, way it's, too early. No, he's got October a path. 2nd. All right. The Desmond Ritter path is to put up, because remember I, I made that joke about how Cincinnati sports information department put out all the stats comparing his like four game run to Lamar Jackson. If he has an entire season of dual threat statistics comparable to a Heisman trophy winning season, and there's no one else statistically who's close to him. That's the only path. We had a colleague named Chris Houston at CBS sports back in the day. He ran a site called Heisman pundit. I believe he now works for the Heisman trust and he had the Heismandments. It was like the 10 rules for every Heisman trophy winner. And uh, one of them was just like specifically looking at him that the player has to be either a, the top player on a national championship contender. That's not going to be Cincinnati B a player who puts up good numbers for a traditional power that has a good record. 
not a traditional power, so it's not going to be that one. But then three, a player who puts up superlative single-season numbers on a good team or has numbers that are way ahead of his Heisman competitors. The only path that I see for Desmond Ritter, and the fact that he's already a, a dual-threat quarterback who's had some some good performances, especially last season, is he's got to be like way, way out there ahead of everybody else. Like Cincinnati is a group of five team. Baylor is not a group of five team. You could argue that Baylor at the time that Robert Griffin wins the Heisman Trophy might as well have been a group of five team based on sort of where they were in their rise. But then that's another statistical win to me where he was just so impressive with his offensive numbers that he ends up winning a lot of those battles against team against players who are the stars on better teams. All right, I got... Who would you rather if you could take one player to win the Heisman? And I'll give you his schedule after Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter. Ritter. I think I would too because the profile of the program. Although Liberty does play at Ole Miss November 6th and Louisiana November 20th. Two teams that could be top 25. I don't know if Ole Miss will be there then but you could have some heroic performances in those types of games. And if you propel Liberty to another undefeated type of season with wins over, you know, some, I just don't, they also play Syracuse who they should beat. Actually, it's kind of crazy. We're saying that, but if they're undefeated and he's having a year where he's, and that he's the type of player with the rushing and passing element of it, where it feels more like Lamar Jackson, he could rush for a thousand or 1200 throw for 3000 and have this insane season it might be more heroic what Malik Willis, the style of how he played than Desmond Ritter. I guarantee you Malik Willis cannot win a Heisman at Liberty, no matter what he does. All right. The Antichrist movement. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just Liberty. It's too small. It's too small. Like Heisman vote. Like I said, the, the Cincinnati the gets on TV more than Liberty. Yeah, the yeah. overwhelming like majority of Heisman voters at this point are not like us. They're not watching all these games going below the surface of like, they're watching all the promos for the college football playoff and the teams that are in those promos. And that's all they know. So unless you play for one of those teams, I think these that's days true. it's, it's going to be really difficult unless you have a transcendent season, kind of like Lamar Jackson had a few years ago, but Lamar Jackson did it at a power five program. Malik Wills doing it at Liberty. They're just gonna say, well, he didn't play anybody. What kind of odds would you guys give me that Willis and Ritter are both not first round picks? Both that not aren't are not. I am yeah. not in the business both, of betting against both. the NFL liking quarterbacks. I'll, t- I'll take the other. I'll I'll say that one of them are. What kind of odds you give me? Let's throw a bet up on the bet sheet. All right, and I would probably lean towards Malik Willis to be the guy. I I'll, g- I'll say, give you either or. I mean, like like you know, as long as one makes it. I think one will. I would I would say plus two fifty for Bud. That neither. That neither are first round picks. That's all I can get. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm looking at these mock drafts and I'm seeing like both these guys in the first round. Like, I don't know, man. Like uh, I'm telling you, the way it's been working to potential upside. Zach Wilson, the year ago, you would have said, I don't know, 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions, this little scrawny kid from BYU. Are you kidding me? He needs to happen 30% of the time, bud. You going to take you it? Plus 300? No, 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 no. 250. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll take plus 250. Yeah. Put it on the bet sheet. All right. There we go. Ching. 
There we, we probably go. need to share the bet sheet at some point with the public. Well, then we need to break it out from our, it a different one our, our other documents. Doc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> all right. Yeah, as, as much good. as I'm sure they would love to uh, contribute. With all the recruiting secrets that we know. <laughs> contribute to the ideas sheet. Um, you know, we're, we'll, we'll keep the show planning to ourselves as much as possible. Except for these mailbag episodes where we do give you the keys uh, just a little bit. Reminder, if you want to jump in on a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review. Put your mailbag question in the review. We will tackle it in a future edition of the mailbag. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.